You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose Sermon Podcast. To get connected at Sojourn Montrose, visit our website, sojournmontrose.org. All right, well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Chase Woodhouse. Uh, I'm one of the church planting residents here at Sojourn Montrose. It's good to be with you. I normally actually say I'm one of the church planting residents at Sojourn Houston, but for the first time in a while, I'm at my home church, so I can say I'm a church planting resident here. I'll be honest with you, I'm a bit nervous this morning. Um, I've been preaching a lot more recently, but to be honest, I love Sojourn Montrose. Y'all are my people, my family, so it makes me a bit more nervous to come up here and preach the Word of the Lord this morning. But it is an honor to be with you this morning. Um, before we get started in the text, I want to remind us of what it is that we are seeking to accomplish here at Sojourn Montrose, really Sojourn Houston. What's our vision? What's our goal? What's our strategy? Here at Sojourn Montrose, we seek to make disciples, multiply parishes, and plant churches to the glory of God. And so, as the church planting resident, we hope to one day, Raph, D'Amico, and I hope to one day go plant a Sojourn church throughout the city, because we believe that the gospel needs to go out to every single person in this city. We want to see the city of Houston saturated with the gospel of Christ, to where the gospel is unignorable. Amen? And so in doing this, we want to be a church that cultivates a heart of being ready to give gospel goodbyes. We want to be willing to send. We want to be willing to bless. And knowing that, okay, they're in Houston. We're a part of the church family, so we'll see them again. But there's a, a real uh, understanding historically in Scripture that when churches are sent or people are sent to go, sometimes it's a goodbye until we see you again with Jesus. So we're a church that open-handedly sends people so that more people might hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Raph and D'Amico are launching their church this year by God's grace. And so I want to encourage each and every one of you to partner with them. I want to challenge you, one, to begin to pray for them. If you're not getting their prayer updates, I really challenge you to go talk to them after and give them your email. Because we have the opportunity to partner with them in prayer as they seek to go out and make disciples and multiply parishes and then plant more churches. We also have the opportunity to financially partner with them. I'm going to be honest, planting a church is expensive, and it requires money. And I know a lot of you are giving your funds to them, but I want to encourage you to continue to do so, even after we send them and bless them, because the work of planting a church doesn't Um, end when we send them, but rather really begins. And I want to ask each and every one of you to begin to pray and ask the Lord if he would have you sell your home and move into their community. Because each and every one of us have to be open-handed with our lives. We have to be open-handed with our lives and ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? Whom do you want us to share with? And so I'm asking each and every one of you to consider and prayerfully consider leaving and going so that you can be a part of the gospel going out into the greater third ward. And then in 2024, I hope to plant Sojourn Southwest. And I'm going to ask the same thing. But we're doing all of this so that the gospel may go out, so that the glory of God may be known, and so that hearts can be transformed by Jesus. It's hard. Gospel goodbyes are hard, but it needs to be a part of who we are as a church. We are going to send because God sent his son. So with that, let's dive into this text this morning. I'm going to start by praying, and then we'll get into it. Father, I come before you, and thank you so much for 
your goodness and mercy that follows us all the days of our life. Father, I thank you that you love us. Father, I pray this morning that you would speak through me, that it would not be me, that it would be your Holy Spirit. We believe that the Holy Spirit is here among us and wants to do a good work. And so, Father, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and work in our hearts. Heal us, Father, of our idolatry. Heal us of our sin. And let us walk out of this space in love and grace, knowing that you forgive us with the power of the gospel. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I know it's a bit ironic a deaf man standing before you with the words right here that Jesus heals a deaf man. It's a bit ironic, a bit funny, right? If you know me, you know I kind of laugh about my hearing, and, you know, it's, it's a disability, but it's funny in some ways. But at the same time, I also know, I know, right? It's kind of funny. Anyways, I also know that me being up here actually can cause more questions to arise than if somebody else was preaching this text. If someone else was preaching this text that didn't have a hearing disability, we may not have to wrestle with these really hard questions. The really hard questions of, why is Chase still deaf? We're preaching about a God that is able to come and heal the deaf. And yet, he didn't for me. I realize that this is a question, and I also realize that it can be a bit personal, too. Because we begin to think about our own lives and our own disabilities and our own struggles and our own suffering And we begin to think, man, why isn't God moving? Why isn't he responding? So this is a question that I do want to address. It's not something that we're going to skip over and gloss over. But I don't think that this is the point of the text. And just because I'm up here preaching this text, I don't want us to miss what God has in this text for us this morning. Because looking at this text in and of itself, there's not really this massive theological sentence that Paul has written that takes an hour for us to dig through just to understand one word of what Paul was trying to say, right? There's, there's none of that. There's not really sins to avoid, right? And there's not really commands of Jesus that we ought to obey. It's just a simple story of a deaf dude coming and being healed by Jesus. It doesn't make it any less wonderful. It's just kind of simple. But I think that what God is actually doing in this text that I hope to show you this morning is I think he's kind of pulling back the curtain. I think he's pulling back the curtain and letting us see what is going on behind the scenes when Jesus is doing his ministry. He's showing us the grand plan that he has for all creation through a simple healing. And I think that when we see this, we're just going to praise the Lord for how good he is and what he's doing. And then I hope to actually address some of the personal struggles that I've had, and hopefully it gives you peace as well. Let's, uh, let's dive into this text specifically. Um, so Jesus is um, coming into the region of the Decapolis, the region of ten cities, um, and mostly these cities are made up of Gentile pagan worshipers. By and large, it's a Gentile region. There are some Jewish people there, likely, There are likely some Jewish people there that actually follow the Old Testament. But more than likely, if there are Jewish people there, they are what are called Hellenized Jews. Hellenized Jews were people who were ethnically Jewish, but yet had essentially left behind Jewish culture, and especially the Jewish religion of following Yahweh, and had either completely adopted a pagan god and started to worship him or her, or they had tried to merge the two, the worship of Yahweh with the worship of the pagans. And so it's in this region that Jesus is walking through. 
Okay? And then in verse 32, it says, and they brought to him a man. We have no idea who they are. They could be Jewish people. They could be a bunch of men. They could be a bunch of women. They could be a combination. They could be two people. They could be 20 people. We don't know anything. But here's what I do know about them that honestly humbles me and discourages me just a little bit. They know that Jesus is a healer. And when they know that he's a healer, they are compelled to bring their friend to Jesus. The reason why this humbles and discourages me is I'm not being prideful here, but I know more about Jesus than they do. Because I'm on this side of history. I have the whole New Testament to help me unpack this idea that Jesus is not just a healer. He's the risen Son of God who ascended on high, who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, ruling over all, and has come to save the lost. I know all of this, and yet I struggle to bring my friends to Jesus in prayer when they're in need. I struggle to cast my cares upon him because he cares for me. I struggle to pray for my lost neighbors and my friends around me who don't know the gospel. I struggle to pray for them. I'm humble because these men and women, whoever they are, with their limited understanding of Jesus, has brought to him someone in need. And I'm humbled, and I wonder if you are too. Because I think about about this, and I'm like, okay, well, what would happen if Sojourn Montrose committed to praying for one another. When someone's going through something, are we consistently bringing that person to the Father and, and begging him? Does it say beg in this, in this translation? Yeah, they begged him. Are you coming to the Father and begging him? He doesn't need you to beg, but are you coming to him with this idea of, Lord, please heal this person. Please move in their hearts. Please be with them. Are you praying for the lost on your street? Are you pleading with them that the Lord would open their hearts so that when you have the opportunity to proclaim the good news of Jesus, their hearts are ready? Do we believe that Jesus hears our prayers and responds? We do. Then let's start living it. And I'm with you in this. I struggle with prayer. But may we grow in the grace of Jesus as a church and begin to pray and begin to ask Jesus to heal people begin to ask Jesus to open hearts because he doesn't need our prayers to move, but he loves to respond when we pray. I just wanted to point that out. That has nothing to do with the point of the text, but I just think it's really important. So let's keep going. So he, they bring this man to Jesus, and, and Jesus pulls the man aside, and, and he does some strange things. I realize that. We'll get there in a second. But he touches the man, and he speaks, and the man is healed. Man's able to hear, the man's able to speak. It's amazing. They're really astonished. He says, Hey, don't tell anybody. They're like, Okay, but then they do. And then um, I want to hit, focus on verse 37 for a second. More than a second. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He, do, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There's a sense that this miracle that Jesus has done is far beyond what they're used to. It's a powerful display of healing ability. And I believe it's actually them thinking and remembering about an Old Testament passage. And they are thinking about 
this healing in light of what the Old Testament prophecies tell us about the coming of the Lord. And so for us to understand why this text is in Mark, I want us to jump back to Isaiah 35. So if you have your Bibles, turn there. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's 10 verses, but um, to be honest with you, it's too good, especially in light of what's going on today in the world, to not read it. It says this. Hear the word of the Lord from Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall, shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the majesty of our God. Strength, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With, recompense of, with the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For the waters break forth in the wilderness, streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, the thirsty ground springs of water, and the haunt of jackals where they lie down. The grass shall become reeds and rushes, and a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if there are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. This is the word of the Lord. What's happening in this text, what we're seeing, is another example that Isaiah 35 is coming. That with Jesus comes the kingdom of God. When Jesus first comes on to the scene, what does he say? Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In Matthew, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark 7, when we're seeing this deaf man and his ears open and he, be, he gets the ability to speak, we are seeing another sign that the kingdom of God is coming. It's not here in its fullness, but it is coming. And here's the good news for us today. The kingdom of God, which when Jesus died and rose from the dead and he ascended on high, it began to expand. It has continued to expand for 2,000 plus years and nothing stopped it. How do we know? How do we know that Isaiah 35 is really happening? How do we know that this is coming? Because we're worshiping in Houston, Texas. Jesus was in Jerusalem when he died and rose from the dead. And he sent out 12 dudes that are pretty, like, not good. They're pretty, just lame. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, they go out, and the gospel goes forth, and lives are transformed, and we begin to see creation change. We begin to see the deserts start to blossom. We begin to see the dry grounds have streams flow through it. We're beginning to see the deaf hear, the eyes 
the eyes, the blind see, the lame walk, the mute speak. We are beginning to see the kingdom of God. And when Jesus heals this man, this is what's coming. This is what's coming. And notice in Isaiah 35, it says that the ransomed of the Lord will will walk on the highway. The redeemed of the Lord shall walk. Those of us who have come to Jesus, who admit our brokenness, who see our sin, who repent, like Jesus says, and believe that he died and that he rose from the dead, and we believe that he alone can save us, this is our future. This is what's coming for us. God is coming to make all things right. And it's such good news, especially in light of what's happening in the Ukraine right now. Where we're seeing Russia attack the Ukraine and kill men, women, and children. We are seeing, really honestly, we're seeing the kingdom of Satan rage. I'm not saying that all Russians are the kingdom of Satan. That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that Russia is being influenced by the kingdom of darkness. The kingdom of the serpent, going all the way back to Genesis 3, it's raging because it's lost. Because when Jesus rose from the dead, Satan was defeated. It's over. They're done. The kingdom of God is coming. It's expanding. Nothing stopped it. And yet the kingdom of Satan is still raging. But the good news is this. Even though he is still raging, it's just VE Day. When the Allies won the World War II and they knew that they had conquered the Germans and World War II was essentially over in Europe, after VE Day, the day that they declared the Allies had won, there were still battles that were happening. We're in that season. Battles are still happening. But Jesus has overcome. His kingdom is continuing to expand and nothing is going to stop it. So we keep going. We keep declaring the mercies of him who called us out of darkness and placed us into his kingdom of light. We keep sharing the gospel, knowing that we might suffer, knowing that we might die, knowing that we might go through hard times, actually knowing that we will, and we know that one day Jesus is going to come and make all things right. And when he comes down again, Isaiah 35, which is coming right now, and it is happening, it will come in its fullness. This is our future. This is what we hold on to. This is why we come back and gather in here to be reminded of this good news so that we can go out into this world of darkness and proclaim the gospel. Love our neighbors, love one another, build one another up. This is our future. But I also want to say this. Sometimes I think when we talk about what God is doing throughout the cosmos, right? We pull back the curtain and we see what he's doing and we're reminded of this good news. Sometimes what might happen in our hearts is we begin to say, okay, this is really good, but man, I'm struggling right now. I'm really going through something right now and I need God to move right here. Does he care about me here? Is he too busy with this grand scheme of things that he forgets me? It's, an, it's a question that, if we're honest, we can ask ourselves at times. We know the answer, but it's a, it's, if we're honest, it's, it can be a question that we ask. But I think Mark 7 speaks to that too. Here's how I know that. I know what it's like to be a deaf man. I know what it's like to not have cochlear implants. Just three and a half years ago, I got them. I wasn't completely deaf, I'll tell you that. But do you know what the, the main feeling I felt was when I was deaf? 
isolation. Isolation. I would go to church, I could not hear the pastor. I could hear him speaking, I knew he was talking, but I couldn't understand him. To be honest with you, I hated prayer gatherings. Not because I didn't like prayer. Not because I don't believe in the power of the prayer. But because here's the thing, okay? Let's just, let's just talk honest here. A lot of Christians, when they talk, they'll talk like this. And then when they talk to the Lord, okay, Lord. Like, come on, y'all. Like, talk loud. Jesus wants to hear. I want to hear. But often in prayer gatherings, I wouldn't hear. And I would get bored out of my mind. Because I would pray for a while, right? And then I kind of run out of things to pray. It's like, okay, guys. I mean, it was isolating. I would go to Christmas dinners with family, and I could hear maybe the person across from me. And in all the other conversations that were happening, I couldn't hear what was happening. It was isolating. I shelled up. I'm an extrovert, but I would shell up. This man feels more than I ever have isolation. Yes, he has friends. I see that. But I know what it's like to be deaf, and it's isolation. And what does Jesus do? He pulls the man aside. The man can't understand anything Jesus says. He is not, he's not stupid. He's dumb. He has not be a, been able to learn how to speak a language because he can't hear. So Jesus isn't even trying to communicate with him verbally, but what does he do? He touches him. He touches the parts of his body that are broken. Why? I believe he's trying to communicate to him, this is what I'm about to do. This is what I'm about to hear. A heal. I know what's broken in you right now. I see it. And I'm coming to heal that that is broken in you. I know he spits. I get that. There are actual, I think there's a good reason why he does, but honestly, it's beside the point. The point is that Jesus sees this man and he touches him. Yes, the kingdom of God is coming. Yes, this is a beautiful reality that God is doing across the cosmos. But Jesus is also in the business of healing each and every one of us. He loves each person in this room. And he knows more than you do the brokenness in your life. And he wants to speak and touch and bring restoration. He has not abandoned you. If you feel alone, if you feel exhausted, if you're tired of the burdens that you're going through, if you feel the suffering know that Jesus is walking with you through the valley of the shadow of death, and he is doing a good restorative work. And can I tell you something else? Can I tell you the crazy power of Jesus? Because I think unless you're deaf and have gone through what I went through, you don't understand how insane this miracle is. So when I got my cochlear implant, okay, they do the surgery, they implant um, bionic nerves into your cochlea. When they turned it on, what people genuinely think happen is, oh man, I hear everything. I go outside, start dancing in the street because I can hear birds and I'm dancing to their melody and all that stuff. Like, no, that's not what happens at all. I wouldn't dance in the street. I might dance in the street. Anyways. Um, but when they turned on the cochlear implant, what actually happened was everything sounded like ringing. My wife's voice and a car horn sounded the same to me. That sounded the same as something else. Why? Because what's happening is when they implant the bionic nerves into my brain and finally they turn it on, the sound waves hit those nerves and begin sending signals to the brain. 
If there's a doctor in here and I'm wrong, just, just bear, bear with me. And, and what happens eventually <laughs> is your brain doesn't, at first your brain doesn't understand what it's getting. It can't discern what sounds it's hearing at all. It just knows it's getting signals. It took me nine months to be able to understand my wife again. Nine months. But remember, my brain was used to receiving signals. Not, maybe not all the signals, but some. This man's brain has never received signals from his cochlea. Never once. And he's never learned a language. And yet, when Jesus healed him, his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. The power of Jesus' restoration is on display there. What should have taken years for him to get to was done in a moment. Why? Because the word that spoke and created all things spoke to this man and restored him back as if he had never had anything broken. This is the power of Jesus. This is what he has come to do. When Isaiah 35 talks about with all this massive restoration, it's going to be done. He's going to speak. And it's going to be done. This is the power of what Jesus can do. But then the obvious question comes up of, well, what about when he doesn't? What about, Chase, when you weren't healed? What about that? So now I'm going to tell you my story. I started losing my hearing when I was nine. Very minor hearing loss. Didn't change anything in my life. It's just, all right, cool. Can't hear as well as other people. When I was 12, um, the bottom fell out. I didn't become as deaf as I was just a couple years ago. Um, but it was a really significant loss. I had to begin to wear hearing aids, which, guys, I'm 12 years old. Everybody wears glasses. Nobody wears hearing aids, okay? So I'm told I have to wear hearing aids. I have to sit at the front of the class, which I didn't do. I didn't want to sit at the front of the class. Um, On and on, my life had to change. I was a believer at the time, and and I believed that Jesus could heal me because I read about it. I had read about Jesus' ability to come and heal a deaf man, and so for a year I asked the Lord to heal me. I came before him and I begged him to heal me knowing and having faith that he could do it. Went back a year later to, to the audiologist, took another test, and um, my hearing had basically stayed the same. Right? Didn't get better, didn't get worse. Um, and the audiologist gets up and leaves. And uh, in that moment, looking back, the, if, if left to my own devices, left to my own heart, I probably would have left Christianity. I really thought that God was supposed to heal me, that that was supposed to happen. But do you know what Jesus did? In that moment, as the audiologist leaves, there was a flood of peace that surpasses all understanding. Just an overwhelming rush of the Holy Spirit coming down and bringing peace and bringing joy. I wasn't happy but there was a joy there. And I did not audibly hear the Lord speak and, and you know, whatever. But what I did feel the Lord say to me in that moment was, it's going to be okay. And I'm here to tell you this morning that that restoration power that we see in Mark chapter 7, 
when Jesus heals this deaf man, happened to me right there. But it wasn't my hearing that was fixed. What was fixed in me was something far more broken, far more deadly. What was fixed in me was my idolatrous heart, my heart that longed to be self-sufficient, my, lo- my heart that longed to, to have myself as the king over my life, my heart that longed to be on my own. And Jesus, in his kindness and mercy, did not come and heal my hearing. He healed what was more broken, which was my idolatrous heart. That's what he came and healed. Now, am I perfect now? Of course not. But what he did was he bound me to him to where it was like, hearing, who cares about hearing? Give me more of this Jesus. And I'm not saying this to you this morning as a good person that you should pat on the back. Man, Chase is an awesome person. He doesn't want his hearing. He wants Jesus. No, when you taste and see that the Lord is good because the Lord comes and moves in your heart, that's it. You're in. And that's what happened in my life. And can I tell you something else that I just heard this week? Bear with me. I'm not, I think I'm going to communicate this clearly, but bear with me. Every time in the Old Testament, every time, when there is a metaphor of a bodily malfunction in conjunction with a sin, every time in the Old Testament, do you know what it's in conjunction with? The sin of idolatry. So in Isaiah 35, when it says, the blind shall see, the deaf shall hear, the mute shall speak, the lame shall walk, do I believe that this will happen? Yes and amen. I'm going to get there in a second. But I also think that it is very true that when Jesus is coming and the kingdom of God is coming, what he's really trying to heal in us is our idolatrous hearts. He's making our eyes that are blind, that are focused on our idols, shift back to him. And that is grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy. I just dropped that. And it is amazing. He came to heal my idolatrous heart. And here's the good news. The final good news this morning is this. One day, when I get to Zion and I see Jesus, do you know what's going to happen? I'm going to hear him with my ears. These things will be gone. I will see Jesus and I will hear him say, I pray, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what's coming we will all gather together in the city of Zion. And at the end of Mark 7, what, it sa- what does it say? We will all declare he does, has done all things well. We begin, we begin to see it in Mark 7. And one day in the kingdom, we will all shout with joy and scream and praise that he has done all things well. Sojourn Montrose This is the hope of the gospel. This is what we long for. If you have not come to Jesus and asked him to forgive your sins, to restore you, to redeem you, I pray that you come to him right now. He's ready and willing to touch the brokenness in your heart and restore you. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you so much for your goodness and mercy. We thank you that it follows us all the days of our life. We thank you that you love us, that you care for us. 
Jesus, I pray this morning that you would restore our hearts, draw us back to you, bind our hearts to you, because we wander, Lord. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.